Okay, so here's my question. Here's how I want to begin today as we continue our series. We're just going to dive right into it here. So what's the spiritual psychology of Waco? I mean, if the church in Waco was to go to a therapist and sit down on a couch, if that's what happens these days, or a chair, and to be diagnosed, to be examined, what would be found? What would the therapist conclude about the church in Waco? What's the mental health of the church in Waco? So when I got to Waco, fresh from seminary to plant this church, uh, I had lunch with a city leader, uh, and I asked him about the spiritual pulse, basically the same kind of question. I was just asking, you know, what's the spiritual pulse of Waco? I mean, today's language is what's the mental health of the church in Waco, right? We're more therapeutic today. So what is it? Uh, And without flinching, he said, Waco is spiritually and has always been a mile wide and an inch deep. As a city leader. So now I've been here for a while, so I can contribute to this discussion, correct? So I've been making friends and having gospel conversations for 20 plus years. I've been planting, leading, doing church in Waco for 20 plus years, primarily amongst over-churched people. So I've been having an incredible curiosity about the culture of the church in Waco for 20 plus years. Uh, Been observing the church growth dynamics in Waco for 20 plus years. And so I've come to this conclusion that the church in Waco is suffering from a debilitating fear called spiritual FOMO. The fear of missing out spiritually. So how does spiritual FOMO work? What does it look like? Well, first, one church gets hot in Waco spiritually. Now, it could be a powerful worship experience that happens in the church. It could be some personal accounts of the miraculous happening in the church. It could be an effective small group system that connects people to each other that's happening in the church. It could be a special mission. It could be like a a booming ministry. It could be some kind of training center. It could be some kind of passionate gathering or some sort of discipleship, disciplined discipleship material for men, for women, for both. It could be that there's a, a large, attractive youth ministry. It could be a new pastor arrives. And it could be this latest cultural call to activism. And perhaps the greatest indicator of all that it's a hot church, all the Baylor students are going there. Now, everyone else that's not a part of the hot church or the hot ministry starts thinking and feeling, God is there. God is at work there. And the beads of sweat start dripping down the forehead and the heart starts racing. And everyone starts thinking, I'm missing out. I don't want to miss out. I don't want my kids to miss out. Spiritual FOMO. Now, if the spiritual FOMO like spreads, let's say it moves beyond just a a family or a group of friends or it actually starts spreading wider into the community. Let's say it spreads like a virus then the landscape of the church in Waco shifts. 
The hot church and those that are quick enough to imitate it grow. The cold churches, the rest of them, shrink. And the landscape of the church in Waco shifts once again. I think I have personally experienced seven such shifts in 20 years. FYI, there's the latest research that's gone out today that shows there is actually a big shift going on in the church at large and church attendance. Did you hear about this? Since COVID, church attendance has dropped a whopping 20 to 30%. 27% in the Northeast, 22% in the South. Someone just told me recently of an incredibly popular hot church historically in Waco. I mean, it has been a hot church for as long as I've been here. And they just told me that it has dropped by 30% in its attendance. And if I said the church, you'd be shocked. If I said the church, you all know it. So do you have spiritual FOMO? Do you have this fear of spiritually missing out? Do you know someone that has spiritual FOMO? If so, this text, this passage is for you. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. So here we go. In Matthew 21, it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? Now we move to a guy named Saul. But Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who? Are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You see the questions? The crowds, who is this? Probably the greatest human being that ever lived besides Jesus asks, Who are you, Lord? Who is Jesus? First Timothy, for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Philippians, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though be, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Therefore, don't miss the therefore. God is in the grammar. This is a huge therefore. Why does this happen? What happens next? Why does it happen? Because of everything that was just said. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would be our strength. Even here right now, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give clarity to our minds? Would you give the realness of what is being communicated in this text to us? 
Would we experience you, Jesus, with the Bible? We pray this in your name, amen. All right, so do you have spiritual FOMO, the fear of spiritually missing out? Do you know someone that has spiritual FOMO, the fear of missing out spiritually? So please hear me. Please hear me. There is nothing Christian about powerful experiences. There is nothing Christian about experiencing the miraculous. There is nothing Christian about effective community, about people connecting to each other. There's nothing Christian about booming ministries, powerful, passionate gatherings, disciplined discipleship manuals, uh, attracting youth and booming ministries, and new leaders and new pastors, and all the Baylor kids are going there. There's nothing Christian, uniquely Christian about these things. If Jonathan Edwards was here, he wrote a whole book on the reality of the first great awakening. He would say to you and me, they are not a certain sign of anything. None of those things are a certain sign of Christianity. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, exclamation point in the Bible. I mean, you gotta do something to get an exclamation point in the Bible because the whole Bible could be an exclamation point. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, exclamation point. I just can't keep up the intensity. Hosanna in the highest, exclamation point. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, but who is this? This is a massive movement. Quote, the whole city of Jerusalem is involved. This is a passionate gathering. Quote, everyone is shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is a deeply felt experience. The whole city was stirred up. But don't miss this. Here it comes. But no one knew who Jesus was. And when they, he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? I mean, the text might as well say, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, we have no idea what Christianity is all about. We have no idea what a church is. Let's move on to Saul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, right? We know what he did. And it comes down to verse 5, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Here's what you need to know about Saul. Saul believes in God. Saul knows his Bible better than you do. Saul has most of the Bible memorized. Saul is passionate for God. He obeys God. Saul studies and teaches the Bible. Saul trains spiritual leaders. Saul prays daily. Long prayers. Saul fasts. Saul gives generously to the poor. He gives alms. Saul sincerely follows the law. He's extraordinarily holy. And he's a gifted leader. He's a gifted leader in one of the oldest and most influential and largest spiritual movements in human history. He went to the best seminary in the world. He was the top in his class. 
He was uniquely trained for ministry from one of the most gifted teachers known in the ancient world in the religious sphere and the irreligious sphere, a guy named Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Whatever that name is. <laughs> Jeepers, you know when you anticipate that something's going to happen and you know it's a train wreck but you can't do anything about it? I knew that was going to happen, but I just went right in it anyway. At least I didn't say Tusami and whatever else I've said over the years. Or what's the one that you told me about the other day? The Sweden. Oh, we're neutral like Sweden. Yep, I said that too. I mean, there's all kinds of things I say. So I knew this was a setup right from the beginning, but I went ahead and plowed in there anyway. Saul passionately believes. Saul has no doubt in his mind. I'm on a mission from God. But don't miss this. Here it comes. He has no idea who Jesus is. He has no idea what the mission of God is. And not only that, he is absolutely, extraordinarily, as clear as dirt, getting in the way of what God is doing in the world. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he, Saul, said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Who is this? Who are you, Lord? The greatest man that ever lived besides Jesus. Who are you, Lord? One massive, spiritual, passionate, extraordinarily, deeply felt movement. Who is this? I am Jesus. I am Jesus. And Saul literally falls to the ground. Saul bows. Can you imagine if we were to go into that event and get a snapshot of the whole world at that moment, all of creation at that moment, if we were to pull back the thin, thin veil between the visible world and the invisible world and just get for a moment a snapshot of reality. I am Jesus. And the sun bows. The sky bows. The sea bows. The mountains bow. The bees bow. The birds bow. The trees bow. The crocs bow. The big cats bow. Finally, he's come. I am Jesus and every knee bows. So of course, Paul formerly saw is the one who writes these words at the name of Jesus, 
every knee bows. Every knee? Every knee. Alexander the Great's knee? Every knee. Putin's knee? Every knee. Your knee? Every knee. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the question is, but why, though? But why does every knee bow? And the answer is so simple, but the answer is so breathtaking. The answer is that moment when he hears, I am Jesus, and Saul hits the ground. He couldn't help but hit the ground. He couldn't help but bow, and he didn't do so begrudgingly. He did so gladly. He did so with incredible joy. He did so like... He just confronted ultimate reality. He did so because everything he'd been looking for and everything that he had understood, that finally everything made sense. He did so because the deepest recesses, the roots of his being, finally got reached. He did so because what he knew to be true was really true. Because Jesus is God himself. That's why everybody bows. I mean, the great creeds of the church, you know, if we were Chalcedon and the Apostles' Creed, the great creeds, the great confessions, the great histories that have documented doctrines and theologies for a long time, they would say it this way, Jesus is very God. Okay, great. So Jesus is very God. You've heard that if you've been in church. I've heard that I've been in church. What, what does it matter that he's very God? Why does it matter to you that he's very God? Why should you care that he's very God? Right now, why should you care that he's very God? The answer from 1 Timothy, the answer from the Bible is this, because only God can ransom you. But there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, there's an 80-something-year-old theologian that could be, maybe is, currently one of my top theologians. Her name is Fleming Rutledge, and she wrote this epic book called The Crucifixion, and in this she says this about the ransom. The ransom metaphor suggests persons are being held in bondage against their will by captors too strong for them. Deliverance must therefore come from another sphere of power. In other words, there's these powers called the sin, the judgment. There's these powers called death. There's these powers called primal celestial evil. There are these powers that are too strong for you. They're beyond you, way beyond your strength. Why does it matter that Jesus is God? Because Jesus, very God, steps onto the battlefield for you. He fights for you. God himself fights for you. 
What happens when God, very God, fights for you? Knees bow. Sin bows. Shame bows. Primal evil bows. Judgment bows. Accusations bow. Fear and anxiety bow. Despair and depression bow. Chaos bows. Darkness bows. Every enemy of yours bows. I am Jesus. And all your enemies bow. They all hit the dust. Who is this? This massive spiritual movement asks. Who are you, Lord? Asked the greatest human being that ever lived outside of Jesus. I am Jesus. The sister of Joseph Mitchell, he's this gifted American writer. I didn't really know anything about him. It's Fleming Rutledge that talks about him. She actually had him in her church in New York City. Uh, This guy, Joseph Mitchell's sister, was dying, and he was with her. He was sitting by her bedside when the sister uh, realized he was there and looked up at him and said, "Uh, Buddy, I guess that's what they called each other. They were very, very close. Buddy, uh, what does Jesus' death on... I mean, this is, like, profound. What does Jesus' death on the cross a long time ago have to do with my sins now while she's on her bed dying? She asks him that. Joseph evidently was a meticulous writer, and he also had this stammer for his whole life. And because he was a meticulous writer, you know if you're a meticulous writer, what are you always doing? You're always looking for the right words. So he had this moment of like his throat constricted, and his heart started the race because he was trying to think of the right words. And then he just kind of knew what it was. And he said, somehow, 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 he is our representative. The great creeds, the great councils, the great confessions, the great doctrines, the great theologies, all through history, all down history would say, Jesus is very man. Take another look at the every knee passage. If you got your electronic device, you might want to go there because we're going to get a little technical here. Look at Philippians 2. If you you need a Bible, grab it under your seat. Have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, Jesus is God, very God. Check, everybody got that? It's there, it's right there in the text. Got it, check. All right, let's move on. But emptied himself. Whoa. Um, what's happening now? Very God emptied himself, okay, by taking the form of servant. Whoa, Jesus, God himself, adds the form of a human servant. So when, when, 
Jesus, being very God, emptied himself. He's not emptying himself of his divinity. He's not emptied himself of being God. He's actually adding something else to who he is. He's adding another nature. He's adding another form. He's adding humanity to himself. That's what the veiling is all about. That's what the emptying is all about. It's not that he's becoming less of very God. It's become he's now he's adding very man to himself. Being born in the likeness of men, so Jesus, being very God, is being born a human being. And being found in human form, Jesus, being very God, is now man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So there's that therefore. I told you this is very, very important. God is in the grammar. In other words, because of everything I just said is what I'm about to say. Because of everything I just said, I'm about to say this. Because of all that I just said earlier about him being very God, but now he's added on to himself very man. Because of everything this very man did, because of the obedience of this very man, because of his obedience to the point even of death on the cross, because of this obedience, therefore, God highly exalted him. Do you see this? And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So Lord here, this is breathtaking, this is incredible. Lord not only has something to do with a victorious God. I am Jesus. Boom. But Lord here has something to do with a victorious man. I am Jesus. Boom. I am Jesus and Saul bows. Okay, great. Jesus is very man. Why does that matter? Why should you care? Because only the man, the mediator man, I'm just going to call him the man for short because it's a long way to say the mediator man. Sounds a lot like the weatherman, and we're not doing that. The man. Because only the man can ransom you. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom from all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In other words, in order for him to be the man, in order for him to be the mediator man, means this. He became your sin. He became your judgment. He became your death. He became your fear. He became your suffering. He became your disintegration. He became your despair. He became your nothingness. He became your decreation. He became your wreckage. And he became your obedience. It means he became your law keeping. He became your perfection. He became your blamelessness. He became your justification. In other words, the man 
the mediator stands in for you. You see this? This is absolutely incredible. So who are you? I am Jesus, very God. Boom. Every knee bow. Who are you? I am Jesus. I stand in for you. I fight for you as God, and I stand in for you as man. And now he wants to bow. And so does everybody who hears that. So don't miss how this text works. This is how we're going to end. Don't miss how the text works. So when I say the text works, I mean the text is actually doing something to you. Because the text is doing something in the event it's happening that you're reading about, but the text is also doing something to you right now, and I want you to see how the text works. Watch how it works. First, it's I am Jesus, then second, then second, it's and knees bow. You see how this works? If there's no I am Jesus, there is no knees bowing. If there's not... I am Jesus, there's no faith. If there's not, I am Jesus, there's no worship. If there's not, I am Jesus, there's no community. If there's not, I am Jesus, no one connects with each other. If there's not, I am Jesus, there's no Christianity. If there's not, I am Jesus, there's no church. If there's not, I am Jesus, there's no mission. If there's not, I am Jesus, there's no doctrine, there's no theology, there's no theology after dark, there's no theology 101. I don't care about philosophical arguments about God. If there's not, I am Jesus, there are no knees bowing. So, Another way of saying it, whenever I am Jesus happens, Christianity happens. Whenever I am Jesus, the church happens, worship happens, life change happens, friendship happens, community happens, mission happens. And you know what happens to spiritual FOMO? It doesn't happen. Because wherever I am Jesus, happens there, there, that's where God is, there, at that place, God's at work. No more spiritual FOMO. Right now, Jesus is saying to you, right now, he is saying to you, because this is what the text is doing, I 
am Jesus. Very God, very man, bow. Bow to him because he fought for you. Bow to him because he stands in for you. And all of God's people say, all hail King Jesus. Amen.